Amen. Now, um, this message was um, actually worked on about a few weeks ago with the interns. All of our interns and uh, four or five of our key leaders and staff people are all in Vacaville, California. They should be heading back today. They've been there all weekend for conferences and for learning and impartation uh, and et cetera. Saw on Facebook or something that they snuck a trip over to Six Flags or something like that. Don't know if that was part of the agenda, but they managed to get over there. But, uh, but one of the things I, I love about what God is doing among our leaders and, and the interns is just how they're growing uh, in the Lord. And it was really a pleasure to be able to sit with them a few weeks ago and walk through the book of Haggai. So most of this message, I can honestly say, uh, was written by, by them, and I'm just uh, the messenger, so I appreciate uh, uh, their help and their, and their growth. I'm going to take you back. I did tell you where to go, right? That's right. Haggai. It's a small book, only has two chapters, and, uh, but it's, it's a rich book. I won't, it's not a whole lot of reading. There, there will be a day when I will come before the church and I will just read a book and say amen and sit down <laughs> because the word works by itself. It really does. Some days I think I come up here and all, I, all I'm doing is repeating what it's already said. But uh, how many know the Bible works? It just, oh boy. Uh, wasn't you in first service, sir? We, <laughs> but um, um, you made me lose my train of thought. Somebody came to church today and came and introduced themselves to to Kenny and called him Pastor Tyrone, so I've been teasing him all, all day, all, all morning long. Uh, did I tell you where to go? Haggai. And I want to take you back now to 586 BC. 586 BC. There was a king by the name of Nebuchadnezzar who was leading the Babylonians. And because of the Lord wanting to bring judgment, upon the nation of Israel because of their refusal to obey God and the oftentimes that they rebelled against him. Um, he brought judgment upon them using Nebuchadnezzar. It was already declared that that was going to happen. He came in, but what Nebuchadnezzar did was absolutely destroy Solomon's temple, which is the place of worship where the people gathered to do the things uh, unto our God where they worshiped, they had synagogue, they learned the word, they sung, sung songs, the very things we do here. The temple was completely destroyed. And the people of Israel was carted off to the nation of Babylon or the, the area of Babylon, the Chaldean area. Now, that was in 586 BC. I want you to fast forward 50 to 60 years. And there's a king now that's ruling and his name is Cyrus. Cyrus is the king over Persia. What's happened is Babylon has been defeated by the Medians, Medians, and the Medians and the Persians combined together. The Persians became more dominant, and now it's the Persian kingdom that's ruling the land. Uh, after them uh, comes Greece, and after them comes Rome, which is where it's happening in, in New Testament Bible days. But now Cyrus is the king. And Cyrus is going to start releasing people to go back to Jerusalem to allow them to rebuild the temple. It was in preparation of a fulfillment of 70 years that they were to be 
exiled, but he's now starting to release them to go back to Jerusalem, and their first assignment is to build the temple. What makes this so wonderful is 150 years before Cyrus was born, there was a prophet by the name of Isaiah who said after the time and exile, one by the name of Cyrus will release you and send you back. A hundred and fifty years before he was born, the Lord gave Isaiah his name. I don't know why people don't believe the Bible. I don't know why people don't believe the Bible. Too stuck on Nostradamus. But so here's the, so here's the issue. Cyrus releases 50,000 of them. And they go back and they begin to build the temple. And then they have some opposition. People in the area start to oppose them. And so they decide to stop. They feel a little discouraged. If the Lord sent us back to do this, why isn't it working the way that we thought it ought to work? Why is people coming against us? And so they stop. And they let the temple sit somewhere between 15 to 18 years. And they start turning their attention just to, to their own lives, completely ignoring. Now, when they was in Babylon, they was complaining that they couldn't go to the temple because it was destroyed and they were in, in Babylon. They were complaining that they couldn't go to the house of God like they used to. They were complaining that they didn't hear the word of God and they weren't able to worship. They were complaining about all that. So the Lord allows them to go back through uh, the hand of Cyrus. They get over there, they get some opposition and they just quit and start turning their attention toward their own personal lives instead of the promises and purposes of God. I want to pick up in Haggai chapter one, I want to read in verse number two. Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say the time is not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now therefore thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is worn. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Hopefully you can follow this pictorially, visually. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build a house that I may take pleasure in it and I may be glorified, says the Lord. You look for much and behold, it came a little. And when you, when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins. While each of you busies himself with his own house, therefore the heavens above you have withheld the dew and the earth and withheld its produce. And I've called for a drought on the land and on the hills and on the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth on man and beast and on all of her labors, your labors. So far the reading of the word. Here is what, what, what if you read the, the, other, the two chapters of Haggai, you will see that Haggai had four messages that he gave, four messages within a four month period actually, four messages that he heard from the Lord to declare to the people. In those four messages was three very clear and distinct things that he wanted the nation, the people to hear. 
for them to get back on track. It was kind of a real uh, diagnosis of what was going on in the community. The first thing that he tells them is that your priorities have gotten misplaced, that you have misplaced priorities. Once, when the people went back to the land, they had a whole lot of energy, a lot of motivation, a lot of excitement. They knew what their job was to do, that they were to go back and build the house of God first. You may wonder why the house of God first, because the center of our life is surrounded by the worship of God. And so he said, go back and build the temple first. And then once that's done, then all the rest of your life will shape out, will work out. I don't want you to miss that point. Our life is centered around the worship of our God and everything else comes into alignment once that's done first. So they went back, they were motivated, they made the brazen altar, they started doing some of the sacrifices, they'd done the Feast of Tabernacle and they laid the foundation and then opposition came. And when opposition came, they, they just got so overwhelmed that everybody in the community wasn't in favor of them. Everybody in the land wasn't supporting them. That everyone that they thought, if God told us to do this and he prophesied we would do this and Cyrus has gave us all of this, then everything ought to work right. And listen, I need you to hear this. Not everybody lives on the same frequency as your life. Not everybody's living on the same channel. Not everybody's living on the same path as you. You will always in life have some opposition. There will always be people who don't want to see things the way you see it, who are not necessarily against what you do, but are not necessarily in support of what you do. And, and, if, and whenever that we allow other people's thoughts and statements and actions take us off God's plan for our life, I'm telling you, there's a whole bunch of folks who will step in with the plan for your life. It may be parents, it could be coaches, it could be bosses, it could be teachers, it could be friends, it can be family. Trust me, everybody has a plan for your life. The person you sit next to got a plan for your life. Uh, that was a joke. Some of y'all looking like, do you, what? Yeah, but, but everybody has a plan for your life. But the only plan that matters is the plan that God has. It's the only one that matters. But oftentimes what we'll have a tendency to do is start listening to the sound bites of others. Some of it may be mockery. Some of it may be opposition. Some of it might be just statements that get you a little bit off track and get you astray. You gotta determine who you can have in your circle and who you can't. One of the most important things, and folks in football understand this, when you're in football season, you always got a huddle that you're in. Those are the folks that you're playing with. But somewhere down the line, football season stops, but you still need to find out who's in your huddle, who's still around you, who are the, you, and you need to have a list of folks who you think are good for my life, and honestly, you need to have a list of folks who are not good for your life. And, and, and make sure you keep that huddle tight. Know those voices who are speaking into your life. When I uh, left Yuma, when I uh, moved to be where my uh, mom is in, in uh, Chester, right outside of Philadelphia, I was nine years old. I got baptized, I was eight or nine uh, when I got baptized at my, at my grandfather's church. Had a deep passion uh, for the Lord, reading the word, always did. A lot of it was because of my upbringing, but I don't want you to misunderstand that. Uh, I wasn't a Christian all my life, and nobody is. 
And sometimes you ask people how long you've been a Christian and somebody will say, I've been a Christian all my life. Eh. Wrong answer. Everybody has to come to a place where they verbally confess that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. And nobody comes out of the womb saying Jesus. We all come out of the womb crying, but it ain't Jesus. And so there is a time in our life where all of us makes a commitment to Jesus, had a deep passion of the Lord, commitment to Christ at an early age, nine years old, even uh, when I was living back east from in Philadelphia or Virginia, would read the word, would love the word, uh, had uh, an aunt here that would write back and forth with me, encourage me in the, in the faith. My, my mom took us, to, uh, took us to church. I came back to Yuma when I was 13, almost 14. Still had that desire and passion for Jesus. Got baptized with the Holy Spirit when I was 14 years old. Stepped on the grounds of Yuma High School with one mission. I'm going to make every criminal a good citizen. I'm going to turn the school upside down with Jesus. Sharing the faith. Loving the Lord. Declaring what Christ can do in a man's life. But then things started to happen. I started hanging around with people that didn't have the same mission as me, didn't have the same values. It wasn't that they were bad people. I mean, Wayne Rooks ain't a bad guy. I mean, it wasn't not that they were bad people. It's just that they were people that didn't have the same vision, didn't have the same mindset. They were never by no means trying to keep me from going to church. But everything about our life at 14, 15, 16, 17 years old was all about what we could enjoy the things that was available, what life could be like. And, and let me hear, let me, let me, don't, don't uh, misunderstand it. I didn't stop going to church. As a matter of fact, I was singing in the choir, or at least I was in the choir. <laughs> Can't say how much singing I was doing. I thought I was doing pretty good, but, uh, but I was in the choir. But, but you know, but, but it, I got so, my priorities got so out of place that what my priorities became the things that was going on out there with my friends, with my buddies. I was no longer on a mission to try to make Yuma High criminals become good citizens. I was joining right on in with them. I became part of them. Still going to church, still singing in the choir. But I would go to church on Sunday morning, put on my robe like everybody else. And in, in, in our church, when you wanted to leave, you just didn't get up and walk like some of y'all do on me. You don't just get up and walk. When you, when you left, you would hold up a finger. And that's telling, the, that's telling everybody who sees, excuse me, I got to go. So I would go on Sunday mornings. I would put on my robe. I would sing in the choir, bring heaven down. But man, I'm telling you, my mind was out there, whatever my buddies was doing. So as soon as, soon as I finished singing in the choir, playing the tip drill. <laughs> Sunday night, I come back to church, man. Pastor going to be preaching, and we sing in the choir, man, bring heaven down, and as soon as the choir was over, why? My priorities was out of order. Got distracted. Priorities was out of order. I would never say that I gave up on Jesus, never say that I'd even walked away from him, but it was clear priorities was out of order. And here's what, here's what Haggai is saying. He, he, matter of fact, Haggai's not even challenging him about sin in the book. He's challenging them that their priorities have gotten missed. You, you, you're turning now and you're just doing things for you. You're just doing things that you think is better for you, whatever direction you're going in life, whatever career you're doing, whatever business you're starting, whatever, whatever, whatever. You're just doing things for you. And the things of the house of God have got put aside. 
Here's the problem. When that was happening, they started noticing that they were still planting crops and, receive, and, and, and doing a harvest, but for some reason or another, it wasn't as much as it used to be. They didn't have as much as they did to store for the next year or much to sell. They were still having the, the material and stuff to, to, to make their clothes, but not as much material and garment to make their clothes. So their clothes got made a little bit thinner, and the scripture says it wasn't even keeping them warm. It, it wasn't that they weren't bringing in some money, but he says you're bringing in money, but it's like you're putting the money in a wallet or a purse with holes. He says it's, it's not that you don't have stuff that you're bringing in the barns, but he says, but I'm just blowing it away. It's not that the weather is not good, but sometimes I send no dew, sometimes I send heat. Why? Because the Lord said, you, your priorities have got out of whack. And so when they go before the Lord and they're saying, you sent us here, you told us to rebuild the temple, the prophetic word has come to pass, just like it was declared by Isaiah, but nothing is working out the way that we thought it would. And the Lord tells Haggai to tell him, consider your ways. You see, whenever our priorities get out of whack, oftentimes God will try to bring our attention by things that we don't even think should be an issue at all, and the Lord will use it to say, hey, take a look at this. You need to consider your ways. Are you putting the Lord first? Do you have a concern for the house of God? Do you have a concern about family worship and your family knowing the things of faith? Do you have a concern about reading the word? And listen, I think you can relate to it. You come to Jesus, you're excited, you're on fire, you're going to read your Bible every day, you're doing devotion every day. Every time there's a Bible study, you are there, you're there on Sunday mornings, you're there ready to worship, but somewhere down the line, life starts happening, business starts happening. Career starts happening. Children start coming. Marriage first, then children start coming. And, and life just seems to keep moving, and you start putting more attention on those things than the things of the Lord. Am I, am I y'all, y'all all right, talking to the right church here? And so he says, listen, he says, I need you to consider your ways. There's some selfish behavior going on here, and, and the reason this is happening is clear. And once you get that together, things will get back on track. And sure enough, Haggai brings that message. That's the first message he brings in chapter one. And they get to moving. They actually start building. But then they run across another problem when the temple is just about built and maybe, uh, depends on how you read the text, it might be completely built. And that's this, an improper perspective. Because what they thought it was going to look like by a community of them, the older bunch, is not what the temple looked like. Uh, as a matter of fact, I believe it's in chapter 2, verse number 3. It says, does anyone remember this house, this temple, its form of splendor? How in comparison does it look to you now? It must seem like nothing at all. There's a setup here, and I'll, I'll bring it home when I get to that point. But God wanted to ask them a question. What does this temple look like to the older ones? Because some of them had been there 60-some years ago. Before they had gotten exiled, they remember what Solomon temples look like, Solomon's temple looked like. And he, and he asked them, does this look like Solomon's temple? And they're like, no way. This thing don't look nowhere nice as Solomon's temple to the point where it implies that they began to weep. And, and that caused the younger ones or all those that was building discouragement. 
because the perspective that they had was if God is using us to do this, then everything must be brought to a place where everybody loves what we've done. Now listen to me. You know, there's all kinds of ways discouragement can come in our life. It can come with delays. Sometimes it can come with promises that we just believe God is going to fulfill and he hasn't yet. It can come with some resistance at times. Uh, discouragement can come when we have opposition. Can, discouragement can just come because, of, you know, sometimes we have illnesses or setbacks in life. But I'm going to tell you one of the biggest things that causes uh, improper perspective or discouragement in people's life is comparison. Comparing your life to other people's. And, and you need to hear this. God has already made you, and if I check the scripture right, he looked down upon every one of us, and these are the words he said, very good, very good. Every one of us have been made precisely to the plan and the glory of God. We never need to compare our life to anybody else. Listen, you are amazing. God created you amazing. As a matter of fact, the scripture tells me that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You've been made by the almighty God. You are who you are because God has made you to be who you are and you're the best one that God has made to be you. There's no reason to try to compare or copy anybody else because there's no better you than you. No better you than you. And oftentimes we have a tendency, I'm, I'm doing everything so-and-so is doing, but look at their life. I'm doing everything this business is doing, but look at their business. I'm doing everything this company is doing, but look how they're going. I'm in the same school and same classes and same teachers, and look how they're doing. I'm trying to do the same thing with the church as that church is doing, and that church is doing, and look how they're doing. Comparison will always give you a bad perspective. And you will continue to focus on what you think something should be instead of what God has intended and purpose it to be. Am I, y'all, y'all all right? I think I got a couple of verses here. One thing I like about preaching is I get to use the Bible. And here's what Haggai chapter two, verses four and five says, because he wanted to remind them, even though, talking to that older group for sure, and I could go off on that about generations. And some of y'all been in church a long time. How many of you know church don't look the same as it did when you, came, when you were coming years ago? But you, know, but you know what I found? It don't look the same as it was when, and I'm the pastor. It don't look the same as it was when I started the church. But this is one thing I know. Every time we gather and the presence of the Lord shows up, it doesn't matter to me as long as the presence of the Lord is here. He said, I'm with you. Listen, Haggai 2, 4 and 5. But now the Lord says, be strong, Zerubbabel, be strong, Joshua, the high priest, be strong, all you people still left in the land, and now get to work, for I'm with you, says the Lord. My spirit remains among you, so do not be afraid. So Haggai comes back and say, listen, you got some improper perspective. You stopped again. You've got discouraged. You've compared it to the temple of old. But hear what the Lord is saying. Don't you stop. Don't you quit. You keep on going because I'm with you. My spirit is among you. We're going somewhere with this. There's a plan that's being worked. And don't you be afraid of what the finished product will be. You just keep doing what the Lord has told you to do. Amen? Well, then the, the third message that he gives was, was about unrealistic expectations unrealistic expectations because this is what happened 
The people thought, because they did, they got started again. Uh, the people thought, since they had began again, and they were well along getting everything done, that all of a sudden those things that they were experiencing before where they were getting crops but it wasn't an abundance of crops and they were still had garments but it wasn't a lot of garment and, and uh, they were still bringing in some money but they weren't retaining a lot of money. Their thought was, as soon as we start doing what God wants us to do, then God will just start blessing us again. You know, isn't that how it works? You know, Christians, we some of the most formula people there is. If I do A, and then I do B, God got to do C. Like we control God. Like we control God. And, and so they're, they're rolling along and they're doing everything. They're in year two now. They're in year, year, year three. And they're thinking, man, we're still experiencing the same things we were experiencing before we got started. God told us to do this. We got busy. Why, where is the blessings? And he said, listen. You got some unreal expectations because this is what you think. Simply because I do what God wants me to do out of duty, he's supposed to bless me. And and see, God does want you to be obedient. Don't miss that. And there are some things we do out of duty. Everybody know that? Uh, Married people. There's some things we do, but what always brings the rewards is the things we do out of love, the things we do out of devotion, the things we do out of commitment. And here's what Haggai says, your expectation is that just because you got started with this, that all of a sudden God going to just start blessing you. Now, I, I don't want to mess with anybody, and, and, and I may not be talking to you, but I may be. I may be getting right off in your grits right now because this is what I know. I've seen it time and time again. I've been pastoring 27 years. Folks will come to me, Pastor, I need this. I need the Lord to do this. We'll join hands with them. We'll pray with them. We'll pray fire down from heaven. We'll pray God's blessing. They'll get the job. They'll get the career. They'll get the car. They'll get the house. They'll get the wife. They'll get the babies, and then boom, no more church. Gone. All the stuff God blessed you with. Then when they have those consider, consider your way situations, they'll come crawling in. Man, we're going to get real this time. We're going to get real this time. And the Lord fixes it all up, and then boom, gone again. Unrealistic expectations. God is not calling for you just to be duteous. God is not calling for you just to be obedient and act. God is calling for us to be absolutely committed and devoted to him. And here's what he told him in verse number 19. He says, I'm giving you a promise now. Listen, he's reminding them. I'm giving you a promise now while the seed is still in the barn. Here, here is what the Lord is saying. I'm feeding you. You getting the crops, but this is what I want you to know. God is saying, listen, I got some stuff reserved for you in the barn. 
there's some stuff you ain't seen yet. Boy, I'm telling you, that could preach. There's some stuff you haven't even seen yet that I'm reserving, but I just need you to trust me. I just need you to stick with me. I just need you to keep pursuing. I just need you to be fully committed and devoted. And then he says, you may not see it yet, but from this day on, I will begin to bless you. That's the promise of the Almighty God, just to stick with it. Do believe there's times in our life when God does want us to have more of an eternal perspective than an earthly perspective. Sometimes God takes us through some things here on earth because all of us know, even with blessings, we still have problems. We still have troubles. And I think that's all a reminder that God is letting us know, hey, it ain't designed to be all peachy king here. I used to say honky-dory, but folks started getting offended. But peachy king, it ain't all rose garden here. But, but, there, but there's a perspective that God wants us to keep. And that is the promise of what is yet to come that can never be taken away. It don't destroy, it doesn't rust, moths can't get to it. There's an eternal perspective. So this is how he wraps it up. He says, listen, God will prevail. That's the reminder. The last three verses, it says, tell Zerubbabel, the governor of Judah, that I'm about to shake the heavens and the earth. I will overthrow royal crowns and destroy the power of foreign kingdoms. I will overturn their chariots and riders. The horses will fall and their riders will kill each other. But when this happens, says the Lord, I will honor you, Zerubbabel, my servant. I will make you like a signet ring on my finger. And that's dealing with, uh, that's a prophetic um, messianic prophecy concerning Zerubbabel being Christ, etc. Says the Lord, for I have chosen you, I the Lord have spoken. You see all those eyes. Now in first service, I was sitting up here being a smart aleck and telling people, I went to Yuma High School and I can count. And there's six eyes in there until somebody in the church was smarter than me and said, there's seven. <laughs> but here's the point. Seven times the Lord says, I, I will, I will, I will, I have, I am. Seven times. What is he saying? That God is the one that prevails. See, we get it twisted. We seem to think for some reason or another that all of our success and everything that we do is dependent on us. That, that if, we, if we don't do this or if we don't do that and I can't count on anybody else, I gotta do this. We get it twisted. And here's the thing, the Lord is absolutely calling us to do what he tells us to do, but none of us should miss this point. Everything that's done is because of him. He is the one that prevails. He's the one that overcomes. He's the one that gives us victory. Listen, it's God that fulfills his purposes in our life. Isaiah 14, 24 says this, the Lord of armies has sworn as I have purposed, so it will be as I have planned it, so it will happen. He's the one that is the one that's sovereignly in charge, bringing about his will. I was reading, it was one of my commentaries, I'm sure, and they referenced an article in Reader's Digest from 1993. And in this article, they were making a correction uh, concerning something they had talked about of a church in Oregon that was having like a VBS. And they had said in the article that the, the theme of this VBS was our God 
resigns. Our God resigns. Y'all know how to spell resign? R-E-S-I-G-N. They were trying to say, our God reigns. But the S made it a typo. And so the statement was saying, our God resigns because of the typo with the S instead of our God reigns. I think a whole lot of us living with a typo. A whole lot of us living like our God resigns instead of our God reigns because we think everything is counting on us and so we're living as if our God has resigned and I'm here to tell you our God reigns. No typos. Our God reigns. Can you say amen? Here's what Isaiah 48, 8 through 46, 8 through 11 says. Remember this and be brave. Take it to, the, take it to heart. Remember what happened long ago. For I am God and there is no other. I am God and no one is like me. This kind of language, boy, I'm telling you, 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 you talking about want to get your morning started? You stand up and pull up one of these verses where God tells you who he is and how great he is, and how mighty he is. And it don't matter who you meet the rest of the day because your God is with you. It don't matter what challenge you got because God said, I am your strength. It doesn't matter what defeat or failure you're facing when he says, I am the one that gives you victory. Am I, am I talking to the right church? Listen, I declare the end from the beginning and from long ago what is not yet done saying, my plan will take place and I will do all my will. I call a bird of prey from the east, a man for purpose from a far country. Yes, I have spoken, so I will also bring it about. I have planned it, so also I will do it. It's amazing. I love serving a God like this. And so here is how we need to consider everything Haggai is saying. You can read the two chapters, but here's what he's saying. The, 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 the point that he's making, or one of the points he's making, is we need to make God the supreme priority of our life. God needs to have supreme place in our life. He needs to be our first. He needs to be the one that we seek. He needs to be the one that we trust. We need to stay focused on what God's will is for our life. Every one of us was born with a purpose. We talk about it every week. God wants us to know him. He wants us to discover and find that freedom that we can find in him. He wants us to discover our purpose and make a difference. That's the touchdown of our life is knowing what God wants. And we can help other people that are far from God find life in Christ. That's the priority is, is putting God first and him constantly saying that I'm with you. Listen, listen to Matthew 6 verse 31 it says so don't worry about these things saying what shall what will we eat what will we drink what will we wear these things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers but your heavenly father already knows all your needs I, I want to pause there did, did you notice who thinks about those things he said unbelievers do now you see Here's a problem with us in our culture now. We read this in our culture and, 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 and we think, well, that ain't, that, that's not us. I mean, that was their problem. They didn't have welfare. They didn't have all that stuff. So yeah, they worried about what they eat. They worried about what they drink. They worried about what they wear, but that's not me. I'm not, I got more clothes than I could wear. Uh, we, we got more water than, we, than, than most of us use. You find half water bottles all over the place. Most of us throwing food away because we don't, we don't eat it all. So this really don't apply to me. But, I, but what about if you reread it? What if you read it in a culture today when, it's, when it says this? 
I don't know if I'm working enough overtime to, to make it on vacation. I don't know if I'll have the money for my kids to go to college. I don't know if I'll be able to meet payroll with, with, uh, with, my, with my staff uh, this week. I don't know if this car is going to make it another three or four months. I can't fix the leaks in this roof. I don't know. And you can go on and on. Put it in your culture. The things that you have anxiety about, and the answer is still the same. That's the kind of thinking that dominates the minds of unbelievers. But that's not you. That's not you. You're not an unbeliever. You got a God who loves you and cares about you. You got a God that promises he will give you what you need. And I'm telling you, take it from me. 56 years, approaching 57, feeling it every day, and I still say the same thing. He is a God that provides everything he sees the need to be. He never fails us. But here is, here, is, here is a contingency. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. Say it with me. And he... Now, listen, I know how many people is in here. I, I know how many folks in here. I know I said nothing about obeying the pastor, but would y'all try it, please? Just, just try it. I'll read the first part, you read the second part. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and? He will give you everything you need. Amen. Amen. Well, since enough of y'all didn't say amen, I'll keep going. So there was a story. <laughs> Stephen Covey, he wrote this, he wrote several leadership books, but uh, there was one that he wrote about, uh, he gave an illustration about his business professor. And he says this particular day, the business professor came into class and he had a, like a mason jar, had some rocks, some sand, and some water. And he took a, took a handful of rocks. Uh, they were like fist-sized rocks, he said, and he stuck them into this mason jar till it came to the top. Well, at least he couldn't put another rock in there. And he he asked the class, was the jar full? And somebody in the class responded, yeah, it's full. Well, then he took some of the sand and he, and y'all visualizing this, right? You got a jar, you got, I, I really want to finish. Y'all need to come on with me now. So, so we, we got a jar, you got rocks in it, right? You picturing that, is it full? Uh, you can't put another rock in it. Uh, he, they said it's full, but he said, no, it's not full. So he takes some of the sand, he pours the sand in there you know, shakes it up so the sand starts settling. And, uh, and then it looked like even then it was full. He asked the class, is it full? But they had already caught on. And they said, well, no, it ain't full, even though, you know, the sand was almost to the top. Then he took the water and he poured water in there. And of course, water makes its way until it actually did brim on the top. Now, he was teaching them about time management in his business class. So he asked the class, what is it that you think I want you to get out of this illustration. And their response was, one of the students' response was, well, no matter how busy we are, we can always find time to fit more in. He said, no, that ain't it. What I want you to get is, if you don't put the big rocks in first, you'll never get them in. Did you think everybody got that? You see, if you'd have put the sand in and if you'd have put the the water in, you'd have never got the big rocks in. And see, that's what the problem is in some of our life. We putting in a whole bunch of sand and a whole bunch of water and never putting in the big rocks. You gotta find the big rocks of your life 
and put them in your life first. If I get amen, I'll get closer to getting finished here. All right, mama, I ain't asked you. No, number two. Just let me wrap this up. Be encouraged in your labors. Be encouraged. Listen, I know you're going to have challenges. You're going to have oppositions. Things are going to come. But listen, the Lord is with you. He's going to help you. Hear these two verses, team. You can come. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. So, my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord. For you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. Can you say amen? Galatians 6, 9, so let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Can you say amen? amen? And then the last message he wanted them to get is that they were to live for the greater glory. They, they, were, they were concerned. And here, I forgot to tell you this. Remember, they let that thing sit from anywhere from 15 to 18 years. Once they finally got going, they built that temple that set All those years, they got it done in five years. And he told them this, I want you to live for the greater glory. Because there's a picture that he wants us to see in Haggai that he wants us to see in our Christian life. And that's this. Even as good as we do things here, God is the one that comes along and makes things greater, more glorious. So while they were looking at that temple, And they finally got to the place where they could celebrate what God did. But he says, listen, we're not stopping here. Life goes on and I want it to continue to go on. Keep worshiping me. Keep magnifying me. Keep living for me. But I want you to live with the greater glory because there's going to be a day when there will be another temple built. But it's not built by hands. There's going to be a day when there is a new earth, but it's not going to be built by us. There is going to be a day when we stand in the place one by one, hand in hand, with the almighty God, with him right there in the midst of us, when all we do freely, purely, without sin, without shame, without guilt, without sorrow, without sadness, without pain, without sickness, without disease, without illness, without death, without anything, nothing but the presence of the Almighty God. And he says, you live for that glory. You live for that glory. Everybody can stand. I want to close out with this verse. It's 2 Timothy 4. It's verse 7 and 8. And, you know, there was a time, this is, this is written by the Apostle Paul. There was a time when Paul was going through some tough stuff. People were beating him and leaving him for dead. He was going through all kind of torment and rejection and had to get put over walls so he could hide away from people. People was helping him escape from the cities because they was trying to kill him. And Paul said then, as much as I'm suffering, it would be so much better for me to be there with the Lord. But God has me here. And he talked about his weaknesses and just trusted God for strength. And he just talked about the challenges, but he was going to press on, that he was going to keep going forth looking for the prize. But in 2 Timothy 4, and this won't be on the screen, Paul does come to a place where he knows that his days are numbered. Not sure how much longer, but his days was numbered. And this is what he says, 2 Timothy 4, 7. He says, I fought the good fight. 
I've finished the race. Listen, and I have remained faithful. And now the prize awaits me. Now he would have liked to get it a long time ago, but, but he kept doing the things that God had for him here on earth. He says, now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. Now that's a great word and a great promise, and Paul went out blazing. But he didn't stop there. He says this, and the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. I want you to see this. With all the good that God does in us here on this earth, and I'm telling you it does come. Blessings come, goodness comes. You trust him and you persevere. I'm never comfortable here on earth. I'm never comfortable here on earth. I enjoy my life here on earth, but I'm never comfortable with it. Because even as good as it is on earth, there's always a threat of death, always a threat of disease, always a threat of pain, always a threat of sorrow. Sin is all around us. Elections and all kinds of nonsense that throws you in an emotional and a mental tizzy. With every good thing that God is doing on earth, I'm telling you, I'm looking for a greater glory. There's a greater glory that he has for us. And I'm telling you, if you persevere, it ain't just for Paul. It's also for you. You keep your eyes on what the Lord is bringing for your life, rewarding you for your goodness. Every head bow. Uh, team, would you come for a moment? Every eye closed. Let, let me just pray this. And I just want you to know this is not the end of our service. We're going to go into a song of worship, and then I'll dismiss you in just a few minutes. But I do want to pray for a few folks. If your head's about for a moment and eyes are closed, my, my first request of you, if, if, you if, if you know that you've, you, you belong to the Lord, but you know you've got your priorities a little out of order. You, you know that they are. You just, you just got your priorities out of order. There's a whole lot of other things that seem to be more important to you than what the Lord wants or the things that you should be doing for your life with Christ. And, and you, 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 just, you just want the Lord to help you get those things in order. Will you just lift your hand? I'll just pray for you where you are. God bless you. God bless your hands all over the building. And I thank you for being honest. Father, these hands are, they're just a statement. They're just people making a, a, a statement by the lifting up their hands to say, hey, you know, that message, there, there may not be a whole lot of other things I could relate to, but one thing that he said, Lord, is, is, is getting my priorities in order and, and I haven't been putting you first. I haven't been putting the reading of the word or spending time in prayer or even praying for other people or even lead my family to church or lead my family to the ways of God. And I, I want to start, I want to get things in order. So, so Lord, I pray that th those hands that are lifted up, that you will meet them right where they are at their place of confession and their place of help, request for help, that you will meet them right there and help them do that. Thank you for that. One more, if, you head, if your heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Some of you here might be in a place where you, you haven't, you want to begin a life with the Lord. You want to begin a life with the Lord. You, like so many of us, we've, you've, you've, you've done life, you've been through life, you've done some life, and it's, it's, it's not always. Life sometimes feels empty. Life sometimes feels hurried. Life sometimes feels full of anxiousness. Life feels sometimes full of worry and stress and doubt and fear. And you find yourself crying. You find yourself concerned. You find yourself just emotionally twisted and mentally 
twisted and, and you just know I, I, I'm, I'm doing this life by myself and I really need help of God. And you want to make that commitment today. You want to make that commitment to say, I want to begin this life today with the Lord being my God. Will you just raise your hand? I'll pray for you where you are. You want to begin this life today with the Lord being your God. He's a faithful God. God bless you. He is a faithful, faithful God. And he loves you. Father, you know, in this house, Lord God, you know the needs of every one of us. Some, Lord God, that are saying, I need my priorities put back in line. Some are saying, Lord, today, I just need to, I need God in my life. I need God to help me. And Lord, the scripture tells us clearly that if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Christ was risen from the dead, that we will be saved. Lord, with, the, with, with that confession and with that belief, I pray that, Lord, each one, Lord, who's making that commitment today will begin to trust you as their Lord and Savior. Lord, for each of us, let us be reminded over and over again of how good you are to us and let us be ever so thankful for what you do in our life day by day. In Jesus' name.